Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. Now, what are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. You see, every day on the John Campy Show, Monday through Friday, we take time to take live questions. However, we often don't have enough time to get through all the live questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too long to get to those questions. So what I do is I gather them up and then we address them here on companion videos. And it is uh, January the 21st. It is Thursday, January the 21st. Earlier today, uh, the John Campia show was not live. I had to pre-record it because I had to go out and be at the, you know, Ann and I just bought our first house. It's about an hour outside of LA and uh, it's going under some renovations right now. So the contractors needed me out there today. So that's where I was. So uh, the show will be live tomorrow though. It will be live tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to you guys joining uh, Robert and I as we do the show tomorrow. We got a lot of stuff lined up for tomorrow's show already. Everything from King Kong, Christopher Nolan leaving Warner Brothers, a lot of good stuff for tomorrow's show. So I hope you guys will come and join us. But for now, we are here to get caught up on the questions that you guys have been sending in the last couple of days. So let's not waste any time and jump right to it. And we're going to get things started off here with Scorpion, who writes... Get over here. John, did you ever play any of the Mortal Kombat games? Oh, of course I did. Uh, and do you think the classic theme song will be in the new movie? Thanks. Well, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they will do kind of like what J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies did, where they'll work it in. Like, do I think we'll actually hear that song that was in the original Mortal Kombat movie? Dun, 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 dun. Mortal Kombat! Uh, I don't know if we'll hear that original. Well, no, let me rephrase that. I don't know that we're going to have that as like the theme song, probably a new variation of some sorts, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the movie... Uh, that tune is played. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, it would be kind of fun. I, I still remember I was a kid, but when that original Mortal Kombat game came out and like you could actually, the fatalities were like, that was that was like groundbreaking for a mainstream game. It was totally nuts. Anyway, looking forward to finally seeing a trailer to this thing, by the way. All right, never lose your nerd rights. What are your thoughts on Godzilla versus Kong getting moved up two months and no trailer? If you've covered this already, which we have, but that's okay. Uh, sorry, I missed it, but wanted to hear your thoughts. Thanks and keep up the great videos. Thank you so much. Never lose your nerd. Well, yeah, I mean, the fact that there's no trailer, no big deal, right? Because uh, five seconds ago, the movie was coming out in four months. So no big deal that there's no trailer. They just recently said, and they moved it up to March. Now it's two months away. So I said, and I remember I said this the other day, I said, listen, within the week, within the week, we will get a Godzilla versus Kong trailer. Now that they've moved it up, we're going to get it. And what happened? We got the announcement that we're going to get the first Godzilla versus Kong trailer on Sunday, which is one of the topics we'll talk about tomorrow. So there's that. They also put out a poster, which I got to say, it looks pretty good. It's a pretty good poster. Anyway, again, something we'll talk about tomorrow. Um, here's the thing, them moving it up two months, I think is another, first of all, I'm happy the sooner I get to, I'm not super excited about Godzilla versus Kong because I didn't love Godzilla King of the Monsters, but I'm still looking forward to it. I, I am. And so anything that moves it a little bit closer is good news to me, but make no mistake. This is another sign of the desperation HBO Max is in right now. You know, we, again, we talked about this the other day, Variety just put out a report of something that some people suspected, but we didn't know until now, which was once Game of Thrones ended 
and there was no more Game of Thrones, the uh, HBO lost 51% of their key demographic viewers and almost 40% of their overall viewership. Once there was no more Game of Thrones, a lot of people thought there was no more reason to hang around HBO. They have not been able with this huge move to HBO Max, which they botched completely. And I love HBO Max, but they did botch the launch. They have fallen so far behind, it's crazy. And I think they realize now they, they are desperate. This whole 2021 move about moving all the movies on stream, that's an act of desperation. Um, that'll have some benefits, though. One of those benefits is that we get to see Godzilla versus Kong early. So, uh, hey, whatever. I'm going to get to see it a little bit earlier than I was. So that's an okay news, I suppose. All right, next up. Uh, Jay Thomas writes and tips in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level, Jay. Appreciate that, man. Uh, hey, John, you may not remember me, uh, but a while back I was talking to you about my album and my uncle that scored. Oh, I remember that part. I remember the part about, yes, your uncle scoring movies. Yes. For Hollywood. I just want to say thank you for the shout out because my album did amazing uh, that last year. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Hey, man. Good. Thanks for following up and letting us know how it did. And that is so cool that you've got an uncle who actually works in scoring movies. That's incredible. And listen, you know, doing an album as somebody who has, has worked on albums before. Doing an album is a lot like trying to do your own short film, trying to write your own novel. It's a big project and good on you for undertaking that project, seeing it through to completion and getting it out there for people to consume. That is awesome. And that's no small feat. Well done. And thanks for following up on that, Jay. I appreciate that, man. And congratulations. All right. Next up, uh, Cameron Nelson writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Cameron. I have a dream that one day James Cameron will write and direct a Star Wars movie. I feel like he'll never do anything but Avatar for the rest of his career, but man, wouldn't it be cool? Thanks. You know what? I I actually could see James Cameron doing a Star Wars movie. I really could. Now, listen, I'm not completely sure. Let me look up here. Uh, James Cameron age. I'm not quite sure. how He's in his 70s now, I think. Oh, I take that back. Sorry, he's 66. You know what? I take it back. Um, he does have a couple of Avatar films. First of all, he's trying to get Avatar 2 out. Then, of course, Avatar 3. And then he wants to do Avatar 4 and Avatar 5. I don't know how many movies after these Avatar ones we're going to get out of them. Understanding how long it takes a director to work on a feature film, let alone a big blockbuster style of feature film. Uh, how many more? I don't know. Maybe he'll be directing as long as Eastwood. Maybe he'll be directing into his 80s, whatever. I, I'd be down for it. Again, I, I agree with you, Cameron. I don't think I see it happening. I, he just does seem pretty wrapped up right now in the world of Avatar. But uh, I'd be down for it if you wanted to do it. I'd be down for it. Not, not the first name on my list, but yeah, I check me off as one person who'd be interested in seeing what Cameron uh, could do with that. All right, next up, uh, A-Train writes, if WandaVision was DC, people wouldn't like it. Really? Okay, so this is in response to somebody who wrote in the other day suggesting that um, if WandaVision was a DC property, nobody would like it, of which I took I took issue with that. That was a ridiculous thing to say. Anyway, if WandaVision was a DC uh, was DC, people wouldn't like it. Really? Come on, guys. That reminds me of when people said Snyder was polarizing because of the DC versus Marvel debate. No, uh, no, it's because he made polarizing films and characters to fans um, and characters to fans. Stop making excuses, guys. It's sad. Well, now, hold on a second. That's two different things. That's two different things. Because I believe there's some validity to the notion that 
the reason Zack Snyder is a polarizing figure um, is because of the Marvel DC situation. But here's the thing. You're equating being polarizing with, you know, he made a movie that some people liked and some people didn't, right? That's not a polarizing thing. Like a, a many, 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 many directors put out many, many, many films that are kind of split down the middle that some people like them, some people don't. But it doesn't elicit a passionate response against it or a passionate response for it with those types of things, right? Zack Snyder making a couple of movies that a bunch of people liked and a bunch of people didn't like isn't what made it polarizing. I would suggest that had Zack Snyder made a movie uh, or made a number of movies that, you know, half the people liked, half the people didn't, really wouldn't be all that polarizing. It really wouldn't be polarizing. I mean, look, a lot of people liked Watchmen. A lot of people didn't like Watchmen. It didn't make Zack Snyder's name a polarizing name like it is now. You say Zack Snyder's name, you get very strong reactions uh, on both sides. And I think the only reason that's the case is because the DC Marvel situation. You know, again, you see lots of other directors who put out kind of middle of the road films. They don't become polarizing names. Right. I think Zack Snyder, through no fault of his own, it's just the fact that he got caught up in making he made some movies that a bunch of people like a bunch of people didn't. But the problem was he made these films right at the height of this holy war that the corporate zombie Marvel slaves and the corporate zombie DC slaves were waging raging against each other. And I think he would just kind of became the face of that uh, again through no fault of his own. And that's why I think he's a polarizing, he's a polarizing figure, mostly because through no fault of his own. Yes, he made films that a bunch of people didn't like, but lots of directors make films that a bunch of people like and a bunch of people don't like, and they don't become polarizing. So I believe there is something to that. But no, the whole base argument of, well, if that was DC, people wouldn't like it. No, 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 get out of here with that. Get out of here with that. That's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. Um, so, uh, so I half agree with you, a train, I half disagree with you, but that's that. All right. Next up, uh, ZMG ruler writes, just curious. Do you think Anne will ever surprise you for your birthday with a trip to another country for your birthday, uh, with one to two friends or with her? I mean, you've only been to other two other countries, uh, as have I actually, maybe when COVID is over, Japan is my goal. Well, no, Anne probably wouldn't do that because she knows I probably wouldn't enjoy that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to visit. I'm Italian. I come from a very Italian family. My dad's name is Pasquale. My dad's dad is Giovanni, who I am named after. My dad's dad's brothers, my great uncles, my dad's uncles, were Carlo, Sergarlo, uh, Romolo, Vincenzo. Uh, I mean, that's I. I mean, it's my family's as Italian as it gets. I've never been to Italy. Anne has been to Italy, I think, three times, and I've never been. So, yes, I would like to go at some point, but I do not like to fly. And I fly all the time, but I don't like it. I, I have a fear of heights, and so I really don't like flying. And so, like, the five-hour flight that it takes to get from L.A. back home to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada is about as much as I can handle. That doesn't mean I'll never go to Japan or that I'll never go to Italy or anything like that. 
but it's not something my wife can just drop bomb me as a surprise. It's something I think I would have to build up to because yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, but anyway, thanks for that. Uh, yeah. And obviously it would have to be when COVID's over, but thanks for that. ZOMG. Uh, mighty JT writes, Hey John, I know you said you're more likely to frequent AMC Tyler when you move out here, but if you ever do happen to visit Regal in Riverside Plaza, make sure you and Ann stop by juice it up for free smoothies on me. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, of course, uh, the new house that Ann and I just bought, it's our first home ever, uh, because we never could afford to own a house in LA. So we finally had to move a little bit outside of LA. Now that Ann works at home, uh, we have that option of doing things. So bully for us. Um, yeah, listen. I'm not saying I'll never go to that uh, to that Regal. I, I know the Regal you're talking about. We we often go to the plaza that's around there. But, you know, I am an A-list member, and the Tyler Galleria is actually quite close, and it's a, it's a great theater. But, hey, yeah, if there's ever a situation where my A-list isn't going to work or a movie I want to see isn't at that particular theater, then, yeah, I'll, I'll frequent that. I got no problem going to Regal. I think Regal's a fine cinema chain. And if we're ever over there, I'll come look you up. And I just noticed you'd like tipped in $25. Thank you, dude, for supporting our channel on that level. Really appreciate that. And uh, I am excited about the move. We now move, like I said, today is the 21st. That's when this is being recorded. We move in eight days, eight days. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to get into this house. First house we've ever owned. And uh, I'm pretty ecstatic about it. Next up, uh, anonymous viewer writes, one of five, five. Okay, let's buckle in. Hey, John, I've been a huge fan of yours for years. Thank you so much. But I must say, in your recent companion video you did today, for the very first time, I was offended by how you treated one of your fans. I think I know where this is going. Uh, Let me explain. Uh, oh, oh, this is intercutting with a, so another multi-part question. Okay, we'll go, go, go see if I can keep track of this. Uh, one of the big reasons why I've loved your channel for so long is because it's always, uh, always been a community where I have felt safe to express my love of film shows, even if you would disagree. Uh, in fact, you have spent many shows assuring us that even if we have an opinion on something that you disagreed, it's totally fine. Uh, oh, that's Logan again. That's Ryan. But today, user fan uh, Mamma Mia, because they had an opinion on WandaVision in DC that you disagreed with, ah, but no, no, no. They didn't have an opinion on WandaVision or an opinion on DC. That wasn't the problem. They didn't have an opinion of that, but we'll get to that in a second because I know the one you're talking about. Uh, uh, that you disagreed, you blasted them and cursed them out, telling them to F off, despite the fact that they took the time to donate and support the show. By the way, I've always say to be very clear, when when we talk about inviting people to send in a tip question, all that kind of stuff, and we say it'll be on the show, if it is reasonable, sending, like, I'm sorry, to, to quote Bain that because you gave them money and you think this gives you power over me, listen, I, I, I'm very grateful that people want to send in tips, but that doesn't give you the right to just say really stupid uh, and insulting things and not be responded to just because you, you kicked in some shackles. And I'm deeply grateful for that, but that doesn't mean you just get to say whatever you want to say. That's, that's not how it works. And I'm always very careful to point that out at the beginning, but let's keep going with what you're saying to donate and support the show. Uh, they did it with $7. I couldn't help but be offended by this behavior. Does this mean we can't feel safe to express our opinions here on your show? Or do they now have to agree with your opinions? Please don't cuss me out as well. I was just disappointed how you reacted. Okay. Let me be very, very clear about this. So, what actually we just referenced this a second ago, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember if we reference this, go, go right to the back. Okay. So, 
Uh, our anonymous viewer is referring to something, uh, a viewer who I, I assume was by the name of Mamma Mia, sent in a question that basically wasn't a question, it was a statement, saying basically that everybody basically said, you know that if uh, this WandaVision thing, you know it was DC, people would say they didn't like it. In essence, now let's be clear here. They did not give us their opinion of WandaVision. They didn't give us their opinion of DC. You can write in, you can say you think the prequels are the greatest movies of all time. I'm like, I disagree, but that's awesome. Good on you. Like I, I want everybody to love everything they watch. That's uh, even if it's something I don't like, I want everybody to love what they watch. You, you know, Hey, you're, you're a movie fan, but you, you've tried so hard with Marvel movies and they just don't work for you. You find them rather terrible. You know what? I love the Marvel movies, but if you don't, that's okay. That's great. There, but the problem was the person did not write in with an opinion about WandaVision, nor did they write in with an opinion about DC. What they did was they wrote in and basically accused everybody who likes a show of being fake artificial and saying that they're being duplicitous because if there was just a different corporate label on that show, they would be two-faced and say they didn't like it. That is not just writing in to share your opinion about the movies you love. That wasn't writing in to share an opinion about a movie. That wasn't writing in to write to share an opinion about a... Uh, uh, about a franchise that was them insulting other people for their opinion that was them saying that all these people who say they like this show they're just being fake and duplicitous and if it was a different corporate master's uh label on it that they would magically turn around and say oh i liked it before but if it's a dc thing i don't like it and see that is not sharing an opinion about a movie that is not sharing your thoughts about a show that's none of that that is just being upright ignorant and upright uh, and outright insulting that's all it is and so yeah i and and listen it, i will tell you right now if people if somebody again in the future wants to write in and just say you know this entire group of people is only this this and this because of this this and this then uh, th then I'll, I'll probably react the same way. And now listen, what I will never react to is just somebody writing in and expressing a thought, an opinion, a point of view, or an observation about a movie. That's, that's great, even if it's completely opposite of mine. It happens all the time on this show. Happens all the time on this show, where I got to say, you know what? I completely disagree. That's not how I feel about it, but you love it, and that's all that matters, right? How many times do I say that a day? But... The problem here, Anonymous, is that you're equating what Mamma Mia wrote in with a simple writing in to express their thought about a movie, but it wasn't. It was them writing in to insult an entire large group of fans and delegitimizing their opinions about a movie. Not even by disagreeing with them, just by saying they're lying. All these fans who are saying they like this show, they're lying. Because if the DC label was on it, they'd be saying it wasn't good. That's not sharing an opinion about a movie. And um, and either you misunderstood what, what Mamma Mia was writing, or uh, if you choose, listen, if you're going to choose to be offended by the fact that I won't take that kind of shit on this show, uh, then I'd encourage you to find another show to watch. 
Uh, many, many very, very good different types of shows out there on YouTube talking about movies, and I would encourage you to go and join one of them. A lot of different types of shows on YouTube for different types of people. But um, yeah, that's uh, just to be clear, this was not as I just want to make sure I get this wording right the way you said it. Where was it? Um, how did you put it? There it is. Uh, no, no, that wasn't it. Sorry. Oh, yeah. The, but today, user fan Mama Mia, because they had an opinion on WandaVision and DC that you disagreed with. No, they didn't. Again, it can't, that can't be emphasized enough. They did not write into and express an opinion about WandaVision or DC. They wrote in to call everybody who says they like WandaVision liars and that they wouldn't like it if it was under a different corporate label. And that to me is unacceptable. And it's and that's the type of bullshit we expected three years ago. You know, when the corporate zombie Marvel slaves and the corporate zombie DC slaves were at their height of their little holy war. But it's gotten a lot better recently and people are growing up. And uh, I just don't accept that kind of crap. I just don't accept it. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, anyway, next up, we've got Logan James Kynaston writes, Hey, John. Help me out. I had a mate say to me, Creed 2 isn't that good, is it? I said back, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. What didn't work for you? He then answered, I don't know. I haven't seen it either, but IGN only gave it a 7 out of 10. We were just talking about this the other day. Uh, where's Logan at? Uh, I have three issues with what he said. Number one is that a 7 out of 10 um, is bad, even though that's three away from 10. That's why I hate numerical scoring. Number two, IGN is a company of 250-ish employees. One person's opinion doesn't mean everybody agrees. That's a good observation, actually. Um, three out of three. Finally, number three, and most importantly, who cares? Go watch it yourself and form your own opinion. Uh, those who jump on the bandwagon with whatever is popular are slowly killing uh, what you often talk about, the subjectivity of film. Uh, Rams, uh, rant over. Thanks, John. I mean, listen, Logan, that's... That is something I actually just did an entire video that the main title of it was why numerical scores for movies is pointless. There's no point in an individual reviewer giving an, a numerical score or value three stars out of five, four out of five, 90 percent. Like it, it doesn't matter because different people will interpret that score in a different way. We don't have one common understanding of what a particular score means or doesn't mean. Like you just said it, man. For me, a 7 out of 10, that's a solid score. 7 out of 10 is a solid, respectable movie. But I have given, I've done movie reviews before, given a 7 out of 10, and then be met with, John, why did you hate it? And that's part of the reason why I just don't give number, numerical scores anymore. Hmm. Now, that's different from something like Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't give scores to movies. Rotten Tomatoes, all Rotten Tomatoes does is they look at, at all the critics and then they tally up what percentage of the critics like a movie and what percentage of the critics don't like it. And they take the numerical thing out of it and they simply tell you, hey, in the case of this particular movie, 67% of the critics liked it. That's all. Just telling you, we're not saying this movie is a 6 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't give scores to movies. They're just telling you that we calculated up all the other critics out there and 67% of the critics said they at least liked it. They don't tell you how much they liked it. It doesn't matter whether they just 
yeah, I liked it versus, oh my God, this is the greatest movie in the world. They don't care about that. It's just like 67% said they liked it, which of course means that 33% didn't like it. That's all it is. But that's why, uh, yeah, I take that away. I, I don't believe in the whole notion of everybody should watch every single movie, period. No, I mean, trailers and reviews and things like that. Listen, I've always said this, and I mentioned this on the show the other day. Seeing a movie is an investment. You are, most of the time, in one way or another, you are investing money in in watching that. And an even more important commodity you have is time. You're investing time. You're investing your time and you're investing money every time you decide to sit down and consume a piece of content to some degree or another, right? And whenever in anything else in our life, when we're about to invest um, our resources, we will make sure we read up to seeing what's being said about this thing we're about to invest our resources in, whether that resource is time or money or what have you. Is the feedback it's getting good? Are people reviewing it saying that it's a worthwhile investment or not? And and I believe as a film fan myself, I like to be at least a semi-informed film fan when I'm going to a movie. I want to look up and see if something is worth my investment of, you know, money and time. That doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with what other reviewers have to say, but I at least want to go in with my eyes open. If there's a movie that really interests me like a lot then bad reviews won't keep me away from it, but it will adjust my expectations and I at least get to go in with um, open eyes. I get to go now in with wide open eyes and I understand I get to adjust my expectations and be a little bit more prepared for what I might see. And But then there are times that the opposite happens. There can be a movie that I, it doesn't really look like I'm all that interested and then every all the critics rave about it. It's like, okay, well... Didn't look like it was for me, but maybe I should check it out and I'll go check it out. So I still, I believe reviews are important and all that kind of stuff, but I also believe in not just having one review source. IGN's great, but you should not only be looking at IGN. You know, coming soon is great. You shouldn't only be looking at coming soon. Cinema Blend is great. You shouldn't only be looking at Cinema Blend. At least that's kind of my take out on it at any rate. So, uh, but yeah, the whole seven out of 10 thing, it's it's a constant thing that I've had to wrestle with a lot too. And uh, that's why I just don't give numerical scores anymore. Anyway, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. Next up, Ryan Lohner writes, uh, one neat tidbit about The Muppet Show is that it gave Rita uh, Moreno the E in her EGOT. Uh, you'll always hear the song. You'll never hear this. You'll never hear the song. Two Emmys, if, if I remember right. I think she won one for the Rockford Files. I, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember what the Fever song is, though. I don't I don't remember what that is off the top of my head. But I remember she's like either like the first um latin american to win the egot or, or something like that but if i remember correctly, she won two and i can't remember which one she won first did she win the one for the muppet show or did she win the one for rockford files first i can't remember that but anyway very good piece of trivia there ryan all right next up uh let's see sam fisher writes 
Could you please make a www.gusgasstationmoviereviews.fart t-shirt? I need one with the real Gus permission, of course, because I saw his rant on your January 19th companion video also. Want to let you know that Sam Fisher is my real name. I predate the the game three years. Well, that's good to know uh, because I always kind of just assumed that you weren't. (laughs) Anyway, good to know. Um... I, I don't make shirts myself. What I really need is we need somebody, one of our very, very talented viewers to make that one up and send it in. I think that would be the key because I don't make them myself. Or maybe you can go ahead and make one yourself too. Uh, that would be good. All right. But if you do, please share it with me. I'd love to see it. Send me an email with a picture in it. All right. Next up. Uh, Sam Fisher also writes in. My comment about Wonder Man and Wonder Woman wasn't would they do it because Wonder Woman is so popular. My question was, would they not do it because Wonder Woman is so popular? Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, Honestly, my answer would be the exact same. My answer would be the exact same. Um, I don't think the word wonder would either motivate. uh, Again, the same principles applies, right? Like when we talked about it before, it was Marvel is not going to do or not do anything based on what somebody else does. They're going to do what they're going to do. And nothing will make them do something. Nothing will make them not do something other than legal issues, of course. But just because there is another character that happens to have the the word wonder in there, I don't think that would prevent them from doing anything. Now, listen, the thing about Captain Marvel, of course, that is an issue that predates the movies. That, that's something that goes all the way back to a battle that was going on in the comic books. Because, of course, you have Captain Marvel, you know, in Marvel. And then you had Shazam Captain Marvel in DC. They ultimately changed that character's name and they took away Captain Marvel. Now they just call the character Shazam. It makes it much simpler for everybody. But that's a different situation because that's an exact name. The fact that, listen, both everybody's got the name Captain in it or something man is in it, whether it's Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, man. I mean, there's lots of that. Now, granted, the word man isn't the same as wonder, but still, it's just one word. So I think the same principle applies here, Sam. I think um, having the name wonder in it wouldn't prevent them from doing something, nor would it make them do something. So that's kind of my take on that. But thanks for following up and clarifying that. I appreciate that. Very courteous. All right. Blake writes, did you ever notice that the Superman and Jaws movies follow the same progression? One, great. Two, good. uh, Three, bad. Uh, for oh my god uh i disagree i i believe superman 2 is better than if we're talking about the christopher reeve superman movies superman 2 is to me is better than superman 1 Uh, actually to me superman 2 with zod is considerably better than superman 1 i mean that's just my opinion that's no knock on superman 1 that's just kind of how much I love Superman two. Uh, as a matter of fact, jaws, absolutely right. A one great two good. I'd say two is quite good. Uh, three bad and four. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. By the time, by the time they got, what was jaws four was the revenge, right? Was jaws Four the revenge with Michael Caine, where it's like another shark completely unrelated. To the other one has a personal vendetta against this family and hunts them across the globe that was truly an oh my god kind of thing blake it really really was Uh, jaws 3 in 3d nonetheless jaws 3 i think was the first movie in 3d i ever watched 
but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad too. All right. Anyway, Murray Reich writes, I saw the Liam Neeson film, The Marksman, and it was actually pretty good. I have not watched it, but I should because I'm a sucker for these Liam Neeson little action films. Not great, but nice little film about him as an old army veteran protecting and transporting a kid from Mexico away from the cartel after him. Six out of ten. Yeah, He's got a couple of them out right now. Like there's that. And isn't there Thieves Honor or Honor Among Thieves or a Thief's Head or a Thief's Honor or something, something like that? He's got a couple that are available out right now on uh, on demand that I really do want to watch that I want to tune in and check out that I have not done so yet. And the marksman is one of them. And we got to take these as we can get them because like we talked about on the show, not long ago, Murray was the fact that Liam Neeson has said that he is getting ready, like not right away, but he is getting ready to hang it up as far as being in action films. He, he says he's maybe got one or two more left in him, and then he's going to just focus more on dramatic acting by the way. Liam Neeson can do comedy too. I would totally pay to see him do comedy, but we got to take him while we get him. Thanks for reminding me about that, Marina. I do want to check that one out. Thanks for your recommendation. All right. Isaac Beebe writes, John, you missed a massive opportunity for the beginning of yesterday's show about the Muppets to introduce our guest star. That's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Uh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I missed an opportunity. Of course, that was the episode that we were talking about the Muppets. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch a show. An animal hits his drum solo. Anyway, you're right. That would have been a good way to open that show. And I totally whiffed on it, Isaac. Thanks for pointing that out. All right. Uh, Jack Lumbers writes, top 10 of 2020. I, of course, myself did not do a top 10 of 2020. It's too much of an asterisk here. But number one. Invisible Man. I did like Invisible Man. Number two, uh, Fatima. Number three, Trial of the Chicago 5? You mean 7. Um, which ha- actually happened to be my favorite film of the year. Uh, number four, Words on Bathroom Walls. That was good. Five, The Gentleman, which is my second favorite film of the year. Number six, Emma. Number seven, Promising Young Woman. Number eight, The Kid Detective. Uh, number nine, The Broken Heart Gallery. You know what? I didn't watch that one. Uh, number 10, The Personal History of David Copperfield. That got in just under the wire, if I remember correctly. And again, yeah, listen, your number one film, Invisible Man. I know we talked a lot about it when it first came out, but oh my goodness. When you, what I think it was like 7 million. I, I think it was 7 million was the budget for that movie. 7 million. In an era where motion pictures are spending like uh, minimum 50 and, and quite often into the 150, $200 million ranges. They made Invisible Man for $7 million. And that is a wonderfully fun film. I I so enjoyed just sitting back and watching Invisible Man. Just when you think they couldn't do anything interesting with it, boom, they did something completely interesting with it. Elizabeth Moss, was, the whole cast was great. And they basically made it in Hollywood terms for bus fare. And they, they just knocked it out of the park. And it was truly a very, very enjoyable movie. I'm glad you liked it that much, Jack Lumbers. All right, next up. Min Tran writes, Besides Roman Reigns, The Rock has other family members that currently work in the WWE. Yes, he does. The Uso brothers, uh, Jimmy Uso, Jay Uso, Nia Jax, who is his, I think, second cousin or something like that, uh, Tamina Snuka and Simone Johnson. Do you see them having roles similar to Roman and Hobbs and Shaw in the future? I mean, if you mean similar to Roman Reigns and the fact that he basically didn't do anything, 
Like he just, I think, did he even have one line? I'm trying to remember if he even had one line in the movie. I mean, like the thing about Roman Reigns is he's a big, physically intimidating looking guy when he's not standing next to his cousin, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, but Roman Reigns is a big, strong, physically intimidating dude. And so you put him in Hobbs and Shaw in that scene where he goes back home to Samoa and it's perfect. All he had to do is go, well, he looks great for that and do some of the action. So could I see, you know, other family members of Dwayne Johnson being used as basically props, like don't actually give them any acting to do, uh, but let them just bring their physical presence to it to do basically be physical props. I don't see why not. I mean, I don't think Dwayne Johnson wants to develop a reputation of, you know, of, of just getting his family stuff. But um, yeah, if it's just something simple, like what they had Roman Reigns do in Hobbs and Shaw, I don't see why not. I mean, they can certainly pull it off that, that limited stuff they could totally do. So why not? Why not? All right. Jack Lumbers writes, I was watching the land before time with my nephew and I was I was wonders. Uh, given the amount of direct-to-video sequels, would a true theatrical sequel work today? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think there are a lot of people... I, like, Land Before Time is... I'm not one of those people that it, that's a special movie to me. Uh, I, I know, John, you monster! I know, I know, but Land Before Time is not has never been like a, one of those special films to me. But I know it is to a lot of people. So my my... First reaction is to say, no, I don't think there'd be interest, but I don't know. There, there are a lot of people now, I guess, who that movie was really special to, and now those people have their own kids. So maybe, but, but wasn't there like 18 land before times? Like, wasn't there a land before time? I mean, there like, there was a huge amount of direct to see, but wasn't there like land before times, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. Like I can't remember now, but I don't know. Maybe again, my first reaction is to say, no, I don't think it would work. But again, I guess it depends how much I'm underestimating how many people that is a special movie for, because those people now have kids and they may want to show it to their kids and take them to the theater to see that. I mean, I don't know. It's a possibility. Jack Lumbers, I suppose. Hadn't really thought about it before. All right. Raymond writes, Hey, John, uh, did you know that the Oscars were only delayed twice before this year's? The first was when Dr. King was killed, and the next was when there was an attempt on President Reagan's life. I didn't remember that. that uh, I, I didn't know about that, that, that. Well, I knew about the assassination attempt on President Reagan. I didn't know that that delayed the Oscars. Just thought that was interesting history. Yeah, because I, if I remember right, like didn't, didn't like even war not prevent the Oscars before, delay the Oscars before? I mean, listen, I get it. The, there is something beautiful about the enduring nature of the Oscars that regardless of almost anything that's going on in the world, the Oscars, that becomes a continuity. That's a regular thing. That becomes a constant we can hold on to. I just really feel, and I won't go into it all again right now, I just really feel they shouldn't bother doing one this year. I think they should just delay it till next year and then take all the films that would have been eligible this year and make them eligible for next year's as well. 
You can make the argument, John, that'll make for a really overcrowded Oscars next year. Yes, but I would rather have an Oscars that has an overabundance of qualified movies that deserve to be in the running for for Oscars than have an Oscars in a year where you're going to have an underwhelming number of truly legitimate uh, Oscar contending movies competing for it. And you're going to have a bunch of films getting nominated that really have no business getting nominated. I would rather have too many qualified films than far too few. But I know there are many people that disagree with me on that, and I respect that, but that's just kind of my take on it. Anyway, but that is a good thing to bring up, uh, Raymond. All right, next up. Raymond also writes, John, I know you like stories about great testaments of friendship and loyalty, so I've got to put you uh, on a show on HBO Max called David Makes Man. I've never even heard of this. I believe the people who did Moonlight uh, worked on this. Really? With Michael B. Jordan? It's powerful, emotional, and deep. I've never... Are you telling me that Michael B. Jordan starred in this? David Makes Man. Hold on, let me just... uh, David Makes Man. Let me see here. Let Let me try to pull this up. Okay, so David Makes Man. It is... Oh, it's, it's just started in 2019. A young prodigy living in Florida looks for a way out of his poor neighborhood. Um, okay, so Michael B. Jordan isn't in this. So you're probably saying he's probably like what, like a producer, like one of the producers of it or something. Let me see if I can get this up on the screen here so we can look at this for a second. All right, so writers, uh, 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 Travis Cole... I don't. Yes. Yeah, so at any rate, I have. I am not familiar with this. Like I said, so it came out in 2017 or 2019, I should say. Um, yeah, I am not familiar with this show. I will have to keep my eyes open for it. All right. Thank you for putting that on my radar, man. I appreciate that. Like I said, now normally this is a Netflix thing. Normally, hey, there's a show on Netflix. Never heard of it, obviously, because Netflix doesn't know how to promote their own shows. This is. I, this is the first time I think it's happened with HBO. I'm not familiar with this one. I will keep my eyes open for it. Thanks again for putting that up there, Raymond. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, Aaron E. writes, Hey, John, and hopefully Rob, obviously not here on a companion video. Uh, if they do reopen up movie theaters this year to the public, and I think they will, uh, I think it might take a little more to get people in. What would you like as a new addition to movie theaters? For me, I would love massage chairs. Now, I... I I really think they are pretty much getting to the point that they have done everything they can. I don't think new bells and whistles are going to bring, bring people into theaters. Look, they, in the last couple of years, they've made such huge advancements in movie theater enjoyment. I mean, uh, the food for me has gotten better. The seating has gotten better, especially like you go, you're talking about AMC Dolby cinemas with like motorized reclining leather chairs, a lot of dine-in theaters now where you can have like a full meal. And yeah, I've gone to theaters where they, the streets go straight flat and they give you pillows and blankets and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it really has become uh, as good of an experience as it can. I would just like to see more theaters adopting those like nice, comfortable leather recliners, a good amount of leg room. I mean, in the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, that's what sucks sometimes about going to the movie theaters is that you get into these theaters at uncomfortable seats, your knees are practically up in your chest because there's no leg room. You know what's really bad for that? The El Capitan. I love the El Capitan Theater. It's a beautiful theater in Hollywood. I've been to many, many premieres there. But the problem is they're very uncomfortable seats and you have no leg room and your knees, like if you're Anne's height, my wife Anne's height, no problem. But if you're my height, or or heaven help you if you're taller, 
Not comfortable at all. I just think you're going to see a hunger in people to get back to the, to the movies, you know, once things are reasonable to do so, once it's reasonable to do so, when we're not in the midst and the height of a pandemic, once we're on the tail end of it, I think you're going to see people getting back there, but, but the movie theater industry should continue to make them get more of the theaters because there's only a certain percentage of the movie theaters out there that have these really comfortable experiences but things like massage chairs and things. Now, I, I don't think we need anything like that. Just things to make a more comfortable, pleasant thing so you can just zero in on the movie and really enjoy the experience. Uh, that's what I think at any rate, Aaron. Thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, Caleb writes, did you see Anna Paquin, Dennis Quaid, and Virginia Madsen are joining Zach Levi in the Kurt Warner biopic? I had heard about this. He's my all-time favorite athlete, and his story is basically made for the big screen. What are your thoughts on Warner, and are you excited for this movie? Um, two different answers. I am not excited about the movie. Uh, that doesn't mean I won't give it a chance, but I'm not excited about it. But Kurt Warner? I mean, the, the dude... First of all, he was the quarterback of the greatest show on turf when he was uh, quarterbacking for the Rams and they just came out of nowhere and they was like one of the most electrifying, entertaining offenses ever uh, when Kurt Warner was the quarterback. And then he went on to the Cardinals and he continued. I think he went to the Super Bowl against the Steelers and he was basically one year he was literally bagging groceries and the next year he's like the hottest arm in the NFL. It's, it's like, it's, it is a crazy, interesting story. Is it one that makes for a good movie? I don't know. But listen, I think, and Kurt Warner has trans transitioned into being a commentator. I believe he's on the NFL network and I really like him. I, I, I loved watching him play as a football player. Uh, I really enjoy his work as a analyst for football, but again, I would be lying if I told you I was excited about the movie. I'll give it a shot but I, I'm not excited about it yet. So there's that. All right. Thanks for writing that in Caleb. Uh, next up, um, <laughs> one Marvel corporate zombie writes, uh, dude, that whiny little bitch who sent you that, uh, one division question just can't handle the fact that we all put out, uh, that all we put out is gold, baby. Now we are going to dominate streaming and spank them. Unlike DC, we don't have giant plot holes and retcon every three years. Fuck them dog. Well, no, I mean, let's not pretend that, that listen, whenever people get too excited about Marvel, I like to remind you, they made iron fist and they made, uh, I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I can't stand agents of shield. Don't get me wrong. They, they had some seasons that were better than others. And I love Clark Gregg. Um, and I would, you know, every time he's on screen, I could watch it in Ming-Na Wen. Yeah, but for the most part, other than those few bright spots. It's, so, yeah, let's don't get all high and mighty. Don't get all high and mighty. DC has made some great stuff. Marvel has made some great stuff. DC has made some not so great stuff. And so has Marvel. The key is that we're all just fans of the genre and we should all want everybody to succeed and have some good stuff put out there. I mean, that's that's the key. Listen, all I want is a good movie. I don't give two squirts of urine what corporate label is on something. I just want to watch a fun movie. I just want to enjoy the movie I go in to watch. That's it. Don't care what labels on it. And uh, listen, and again, they both have some big wins. They both have some, some not so great moments and that's okay. That's okay. All right. Next up. 
Uh, Zhu Huang writes, Hello, John. We love you in China. Well, thank you so much, man. Uh, please don't hate us. Uh, we're big movie fans and have so much hope for the future. Love the monsters, superheroes, and more. I know uh, I know you're a good man, but uh, but our box office is real. And when the theaters are open, uh, one day, please come to Main Shanghai City Center. Well, you know, it's funny. My, my wife lived out there for a little bit when she was still working with Hasbro. They needed her to go for two months. This was just a few years ago when she was still at Hasbro. She had to go and live out there for two months uh, to inspect the factories and doing some things she had to do out there. At any rate, I, I listen, I, I still, I, I am dubious and I, I'm not pulling a big conspiracy theory. I'm not saying that there's proof enough. No, 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 no. I'm just saying I am, I am skeptical. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm skeptical of some of the box office numbers that I've seen come out of China from time to time. And I, I'm, I'm not willing to bet money on that. I'm not planting a flag in that position whatsoever. I'm just saying that I would be disingenuous if I didn't tell you that, honestly, I'm, I'm a little skeptical sometimes. That, you know, that all of a sudden certain Chinese-produced movies have these insanely record-breaking numbers. And... I, I, again, I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. I would, I'm not, I would never get into an argument with somebody because I don't feel that strongly about it. I just being honest that I, again, I would be, you know, disingenuous if I didn't tell you that sometimes I, I, I wonder that's all, that's all, that's all just, just being honest with you. Okay. Anyway, thanks for writing in and I appreciate that. All right. Playmaker writes, Hey, John. One of my uh, all-time favorite movies is End of Wild. Oh, that movie's so good. Uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. But whenever I bring it up to my friends, they don't know what I'm talking about. Have you seen it? And if so, what are your thoughts on the film? The film is fantastic. It just It's another building block in the legend that is... I'll, t- I'll tell you what. It is another building block in the legend that is Jake Gyllenhaal's career. I mean, he's just a, a tremendously respected actor now. But I think that one was a real wake-up call for a lot of people about Michael Pena. Uh, people had always liked him. <laughs> How good is he in Ant-Man? Anyway, but I think that was for a lot of people who did see it was a wake-up call. It's like, no, this isn't just a likable guy, Michael. He's stupid talented. He's really good. When he's on, he's on. And it's not just com- comedically, although again, He's my favorite part of the Ant-Man movies. I could watch an entire movie of just him. I remember, actually, when Endgame was coming up, uh, there was a big popular thought out there that Endgame should start with Michael Pena's character, I believe his name is Luis in the the movies, basically telling the story of the whole MCU in like 10 minutes, and then that kicks off Endgame. Because you know how they do that in Ant-Man with him telling stories? It's like one of the best, most entertaining things they've ever done in the MCU. And I would have been totally down for that. But I think for a lot of people, that was the movie that put uh, put him on the map as like, oh, dude, no, like this dude's for real. Like, he's for real. Jake Gyllenhaal, we already kind of knew to expect that. But again, great. But no, the movie's wonderful. Anyway, thanks for bringing that up, Playmaker. Next up, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John. 
Looking back at my almost 30 years of movie-going experience, I can definitely see I went through phases. As a youth drawn to animation, then to big explosive and laugh-out-loud comedies, to now appreciating uh, all great movies. Has that happened to you? Um, well, I mean, I think... Look, you know what I always say about movies, right? Is that movies are experiential events. And because of the subjective nature of art, I always say that movies hit us all in different ways, depending on who we are, where we're at in our lives. Like it, it just elements of art will hit us all in a very, very unique way, depending on where we are in our lives. And so I think it's definitely valid to say that as we go through different stages and phases of our life, that art will hit us in different ways. And there might be certain variations of art that hit us in a little more deeper way or, or have a bigger impact on us than others. And then we're in a different phase of our lives. Maybe something else does. It's weird because I find that, you know, as I get older, you know, here's one of the weird things. As I get older, I'm finding that I appreciate animated stuff more than I used to. And I don't know why that is. I know that it seems kind of weird, but I find myself appreciating the medium of animation even more than I do. But no, I think that's a totally valid thing, Russell, that as we change as people, art hits us in different ways. And maybe we become more um, open or more, uh, what's the, the, the phrase I'm looking for? Maybe we become like more receptive to certain types of films because of a certain place we're in our life. And then as we change places in our life, different things have different impacts. So I think that's a totally valid observation, Russell. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Dean Dillon writes, Hey, John, uh, big fan. Thank you so much. Uh, do you think there will be a three Independence Day movie? You mean Independence Day three? Uh, and what did you think of Independence Resurgent when it came out? Listen, I still remember. Uh, let me bring it up here. When Independence Day 2 was coming out, um, let me see if I can find this. Oh, there we go. When Independence Day 2 was coming out, also known as Independence Day Resurgence, being directed by uh, Roland Emmerich again, I remember thinking, this is going to be fun. Yeah, Will Smith wasn't there, but I, that was totally fine. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, the movie wouldn't have been any, any better with Will Smith there. But I remember it wasn't just me. It was a bunch of my team. We, there was a lot of us thought this is going to be a lot of fun. And I remember we got about 10 of us together, I think, including me, Schnepp, and a bunch of other people on the team. I know Dennis was there. And we all decided on opening night, we were going to go and watch at the AMC Burbank 16 because it was right beside our office. Actually, at the time, our office was still in the AMC Burbank 16. So we all got together at the AMC Burbank 16. And what we were going to do is, the plan was, we were going to go in, watch the movie, and then come out of the movie and go right into the studio and do a big review together. Because we were all really excited about it. We really thought it was going to be fun. And it was so bad. And we all came walking out just like giggling at how bad it was. And we all looked at each other and it's like, do we really want to go in and do a review of this? And the consensus among all of us was no, we do not feel like going in 
and doing a review of this. We just thought we just wasted enough of our brain cells uh, watching this thing. And it was a massive financial disappointment. It made worldwide, it made less than $400 million. Worldwide, less than $400 million in its entire run. Uh, $389 million to be uh, specific. It lost them a lot of money. So do I think that they could fire up the engines and do uh, Independence Day 3? Listen, we live in a world where um, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is playing Electro again. So anything can happen. I'll just say that I will be very surprised. I will be very surprised if they actually ever pull the trigger and give us Independence Day 3. Okay, thanks a lot for that, Dean. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, Rozo, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's not here on Companion Videos. Uh, Big fan for a while now. Thank you so much, Rozo. As of late, I am really enjoying the Star Wars canon books. Nice. This got me thinking. Uh, Are there other films, franchises, that are being expanded with story material in book form? Greetings from the Netherlands. I mean, listen, you could make an argument that yeah, man, the comics. I mean, if you want to go comics and, but quite often the comics aren't connected with, I remember, um, like back in the day matrix, you was making companion material. Like they made animatrix and things like that, but did they actually ever actually just do novels? I don't think so. Star Trek for a long time has had an exhaust. I mean, I, it's, it might be in the hundreds. I mean, Robert Meyer Burnett would be a better guy to give an answer, but I know Star Trek had tons of novelization, like tons of novels and stories and books, both for classic Star Trek, Next Generation Star Trek, Deep Space Nine Star Trek, uh, Voyager Star Trek. They all had novels, all had books uh, pertaining to adventures and things that happened outside of the shows. So that's happened too. But um, I'm trying to think if there's any like franchises right now that do that. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if there's a lot that do it right now too. It's, I listenly say there's not a ton of them right now. And Star Trek or Star Wars is pretty unique in that. But yeah, listen, I got to tell you, there are a couple like the Aftermath books. I'm not a big fan of the Aftermath books. I didn't like the first Star Wars canon book that came out. What was it called? New Dawn. Was that it? Was that what it's called? The one that basically was a prequel to Rebels. Um, I can't remember if that was it. Let me just look it up here. Yeah. Star Wars new Dawn. That was, that was the name of it. I was, uh, I did not like that. I still remember we were at comic-con when I got my first copy. I think it was, uh, it was before the release of the book and I got my hands on the first copy. And I think it was at comic-con that I was at at any rate. Um, I was pretty disappointed with it. I, I didn't like, and I like Star Wars rebels. I like rebels quite a bit. But I didn't like the book and the aftermath stuff wasn't good. But then there's there's a bunch that are. The the Phasma novel isn't great, but it's pretty solid. The Tarkin novel is great. I the Thrawn novels are 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 anywhere from pretty good to really good, depending on which one you're reading. Uh the uh, Bloodlines is, is solid, like really is that one's really quite good. Lost Stars is magnificent. Absolutely love Claudia Gray's Lost Stars. Uh, But again, my favorite one is Lords of the Sith. 
And I hope you've gotten to that one. If not, you're in for a treat. Lords of the Sith is my favorite one. So yeah, it's still a little bit hit and miss, but for the most part, they've done a pretty good job with it. Anyway, glad you're enjoying those, Rozo. Uh, next up, we've got Tyler from Ambient Worlds who tips in $20. Thank you, Tyler from Ambient Worlds. I appreciate that, man. And he writes in, uh, Mark Hamill has fundamental disagreements about how his character was portrayed in The Last Jedi. He recently shared how much he enjoyed Luke in the Mandalorian finale. What do you think about how vocal he is? Conceptions out there. One uh, is that uh, Mark Hamill totally loved everything about doing The Last Jedi and blah, blah, blah. And there's some people who pass that around. There's also the opposite of that, that God, Mark Hamill hated everything about the last Jedi and blah, blah. And that is also not true. There's a, a really great art. You know what? Let me see if I can. Hold on. Um, there's a really great uh, article on this whole thing. I believe it was by, let me just see if I was right about that. I think it's by, is it empire? No, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, if this is the right one, hold a second, let me click on this. It is, uh, IndieWire. It's IndieWire. Um, there's a really good article in IndieWire that really kind of sums this all up. So basically what happened is Mark Hamill had, cause he tells the story himself. When he read the script for the last Jedi, he had some misgivings about what they were going to do with Luke. Now, Mark Hamill also points out that he had the same kind of misgivings and he had arguments with George Lucas about how they were handling, gonna, going to handle Luke in Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi happens to be my all-time favorite Star Wars movie. But Mark Hamill's quick to point out he had those disagreements too. But he said, you know, he just went in and he trusted the process. Now, I was at the world premiere of uh, Last Jedi and I was fortunate enough to be right beside Mark Hamill at the... Uh, at the uh, after party and he was raving about the film to people. Still, you, you read some things about saying Mark Hamill actually hated the last Jedi. He didn't actually, this, this again comes from that article. This is uh, Mark Hamill speaking at a, this is well after the last Jedi had come out. Uh, he, Mark Hamill said this talking about the last Jedi. last Jedi is probably the, this is Mark Hamill speaking. Last Jedi is probably the most sophisticated Star Wars movie since Empire. I just think it's a stunning film. It's challenging. It's surprising. It has humor. I have to put my feelings aside because remember, he had already talked about his misgivings about what they were using Luke for at the time. I had to put my feelings aside and try to realize uh, the director's feelings the best I can. And then he goes on to talk about um, the fact that he wasn't feeling so great about the use of his character at first. He says, I'm just like a lot of you. I feel an investment in it, a certain sense of ownership. I'm sorry I lowered my bar and expressed my misgivings about it because that belongs in the process. It doesn't belong in the public. But I made that statement before I saw the finished film. And as I said, it's probably the most sophisticated Star Wars we've made since Empire. That is Mark Hamill's feelings on it. Is it normal for an actor to feel a sense of ownership and want to give input um, on the direction their character goes, or even, you know, have misgivings about the way their character is being used. There are a number of great doc. I remember I was watching this one documentary about, uh, about showrunners and they were talking about how actors become the stewards of that character and they become the advocate for that character, right? Actors are actors, but 
at the end of the day, especially when you're talking about a franchise, whether it's a TV series or a franchise of films, the actor kind of, you need that actor to become the advocate for that character. Nobody's going to speak for that character um, as passionately than the actor portraying them. That doesn't mean the actor should have any more authority, but they become the advocate for that character. And directors rely on that. And sometimes the directors will do what the actors would like to do. And sometimes the directors won't do what the actors want them to do. But directors always want the actors to advocate for their character. And so, no, I don't believe that's a rare thing. I don't think it's a rare thing at all. So Mark Hamill being, you know, the actor that he is, when he read the script for The Last Jedi, that's not what he envisioned Luke being. And that's not what he envisioned Luke doing. And he said so. But then, as he said uh, at this uh, at this convention, he said, I shouldn't have expressed that publicly. Uh, that was meant that belongs in the process. It doesn't belong public. But I made that statement before I saw the film, because I think The Last Jedi is probably the most sophisticated Star Wars movie since Empire. I just think it's a stunning film. It's challenging. It's surprising. It has humor, blah, 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 which is really more consistent with the Mark Hamill. I was standing beside at the after party for The Last Jedi premiere, but. Actors should advocate for their, listen, advocating for something does not mean you should be in charge of it, right? But just because you're not in charge doesn't mean if you are the representative of that thing, of that character, just because you're not in charge of it, that you don't get to make the decision about it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't advocate. That's the whole definition of an advocate, right? You're not the one who gets to make the decision, but we all need an advocate and and in the movies, you need to advocate for that. And since Mark Hamill's playing Luke, he felt, I think rightfully so, the need to advocate for the character the way he thought the character maybe should be done. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that in the world at all. So he, you know, he advocated hard. Then he put it aside, did what a professional does, followed what the director wanted to do. We all have different interpretations about whether that worked out well or not, but he did the professional thing. He did what the director wanted done. And at the end of the day, he loved the film. And maybe he still would have liked to have done something different with Luke, but there's nothing wrong with the fact that he was the advocate for that character and he kind of spoke his mind about what he wanted to do with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, I think there are a lot of actors who do that, especially in television. And I think television has a a lot in common with franchise films. So it is. Now you guys know my feeling on the last Jedi. I, I, I like last Jedi. I like that movie. I particularly love what they did with Luke. There are other things they did in that movie that I did not love so much, but Hey, it was an Oscar winner compared to rise of the, uh, to the rise of Skywalker. At any rate, that's just my thoughts on that. Anyway, good question, Tyler. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, we've got uh, an anonymous viewer who writes, News of the world, uh, pieces of woman, one night in Miami, promising young woman, Oscar contender movies released in the last few days, but people care more about average episodes of WandaVision without theaters. There is no hope for these types of movies. You bring up an excellent point, by the way, that's just your opinion. I think WandaVision is quite good. I don't like it as much as my wife loves. My wife thinks it's like the greatest thing she's ever seen, but, um, care more about average episodes of one. That's your opinion. You're entitled to it. A lot of people really, really enjoyed it, but other people liked it less than you did too. Got to keep that in mind as well. But, um, that you just speak to something that I have been thinking about recently, like news of the world. 
And I'm, I'm not trying to make a point. I'm simply telling you what my experience has been. Okay. You, you take and interpret my experience however you wish. News of the World. It's a Tom Hanks film. It looks fantastic. And more importantly, it's a Tom Hanks film. My wife, you guys know, my wife's number one all-time favorite celebrity ever is Tom Hanks. Her all-time favorite movie is big. You put any, you know, Tom Hanks is America's dad to my, to my wife. She's just, he's America's dad. If news of the world had come out in theaters, there is no way we wouldn't have been there day one. There's just no conceivable reality that exists where Ann and I would not have been there day one to watch that. But it wasn't in theaters. If One Night in Miami had come out in theaters, from the reviews I'm hearing from it, everybody would have been talking about it right now. At least a hell of a lot more than it's being talked about currently. But it got slipped on onto streaming. I mean, it it just and, and this is something I've been thinking about, and, and I don't I don't know if there's a principle here. I'm not suggesting there is, but it is starting to strike me how much less buzz gets generated when one of these films goes straight to streaming instead of coming out in a proper theater. And maybe that has to do with the fact that, well, when it comes out in theater, they give it a much bigger publicity push. They give it a much big, bigger marketing push. That that could be it, I suppose, as well. I mean, and let's not fool ourselves. Um, News of the World, uh, Promising Young Woman, uh, One Night in Miami, none of these films were going to be $600 million movies. I mean, that, that's not what we're suggesting. But I just feel like when movies like that come out, it gets a lot more talk and a lot more buzz and a lot more energy behind it. And I don't know. And again, we're really early into this. Maybe by the time we get to, you know, April, maybe that'll turn around. But I, I kind of been sensing that same thing, Anonymous. I've kind of been sensing that same thing. So I'm glad you brought it up. Again, I'm not saying there's there's principles there that are, you know, foundational rules now. That, no, I'm just saying this has been my limited experience so far. But it'll be interesting to see how that evolves or changes. All right. Uh, Jalen Pryor writes, Hey, John. So last night, me and my girlfriend watched guilty, a guilty pleasure of ours, the early 2000s Fantastic Fours. We both agree uh, two was the worst movie, but we still enjoyed it. And while still dated uh, and while still dated and not the greatest movie, uh, to be honest, I truly believe it's still enjoyable. We know what? That's the important thing, Jalen. That's the important thing. You enjoyed it. That's that's the only thing that's important. That's the beauty of the subjectivity of film. Is that just because I watched a movie and I did not find it enjoyable? That exact same piece of art is going to hit a different person in a different way that it hit me. And you guys watch it and you enjoyed yourselves. And movies are experiential events. And that all that matters at the end of the day is that you have an enjoyable time. Did you have an enjoyable experience watching the movie? To hell if other people did or didn't. It doesn't matter. I thought those movies are quite terrible, but that doesn't matter. What matters is you watched it, you enjoyed it. And hell, listen, if I can sit down and watch Armageddon and have a really good time, then you can watch those Fantastic Four movies. If I can sit down and watch Cool as Ice uh, starring Vanilla Ice, 
That's right. A vanilla ice movie is called Cool as Ice. Go look it up. Maybe one of the worst cinematic movies of all time. And I love every second that I watch it. Love every second. If I can do that, then you can like the Fantastic Four movies, man. Don't you apologize for that. All right, next up. Uh, Jalen Pryor writes it in again. Also, I don't know if you've seen the Ethan Hawke movie called Predestination. I did. That's that's going back a ways. Uh, truly a great performance. Not a high action film, but damn, it makes you think about what's really going on. And if uh, you're a movie fan with big twists, if you're a fan of movie twists, truly love this 10 out of 10. I, I wouldn't go so far as to give it 10 out of 10 or anything about like that. But listen, Ethan Hawke, handsome Hawke, he is a... A uh, multi, both as an actor and as a screenwriter, a multi-time uh, Academy Award, two acting uh, Academy Award nominations, uh, two screenwriting Academy Award nominations. He is truly a phenomenal, phenomenal. What was the name of that damn one he just did? The other, I'm the one he was the priest. Hold on a second. Uh, I love that movie, uh, and I cannot remember the name of it. Uh, it's the one where he's the priest. It was just out like two years ago. What's it called? What's it called? Uh, tell the per. Why can't I find it? No, seriously, why can't I find it? First Reformed. That's it. That's one of the. Sorry, it wasn't just like it was like 2017. Oh my God, that is going back a, a, a little bit. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about First Reformed, a minister of a small congregation in upstate New York grapples with mounting despair brought on by tragedy, worldly concerns, and tormented past. It's a little bit deeper than that kind of thing gives. Now, if you have not watched First Reform and you want to know just how good Ethan Hawke is, he's fabulous in that. I don't think he got an Academy Award nomination for this movie, but you could probably make an argument that he should have. But listen, seriously, I, I'm a big fan. Of course, he was just in the news because Ethan Hawke, they just said, has been cast as the main villain of the upcoming Marvel MCU Disney Plus show Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac is playing the hero. Ethan Hawke is going to be playing the villain. And I'm stoked about that. I think that's going to be great. Truly two really world-class actors. Looking forward to that a lot. All right, next up. Trey, uh, Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. I'm one of those people that don't really rely on going to Rotten Tomatoes just to see what critics have to say, how good or bad a movie is. I like to judge that for myself. Well... I mean, that's the thing. Look, let me challenge you on that a little bit. Um, you like to judge for yourself. Okay. So you see every single movie that comes out. And, and this is where I get into discussions with people sometimes, because this is normally how the, the, these conversations go. And I'm only expressing my own personal point of view. That's all. I'm just giving you my own personal point of view. You have whatever personal point of view you want to. We're all going to have different ones, but this is normally the progression of the conversations that I have. Again, I always bring up thing of, so you're going to buy a car without looking up anything about it. Do they blow up? Do they, you, you don't read any reviews. Listen, we as human beings, when, when we're thinking about going to a restaurant we've never been to, the first thing we do is we look up on Yelp. What, what are people's experiences with that? Again, going to a movie and watching movies, investment of our resources, uh, money and time. And so it is only rational for us to look at. Now, then when, when somebody says to me and they do, they do quite often is I like to make up, I like to decide for myself. I like to make up my own mind about a movie. Okay. So do you see every single movie that's out there? You go to, do you watch every, you take, you know, see five movies a week, blah, blah. You watch every single movie out there. The answer to that is no. To which then I will ask, 
well then what's your what makes you decide to see a movie well it depends on if i like the trailer or not and then i say so what you're saying is that the thing you give all the power to in making your decision is a manipulative corporate produced commercial designed to manipulate you into giving them your money to go see it that's that's the thing i just did a documentary about movie trailers i love movie trailers i do i just did a documentary about them but make no mistake about what movie trailers are movie trailers are designed by the corporation that's trying to get your money from you it's a piece of propaganda designed by the company trying to take your money sometimes deceptively so that's specifically down to its dna and its blueprint designed to manipulate you into wanting to come see it and so what i will often say to friends of mine that i have this discussion with is like okay so you're saying you're giving the corporation that stands to make money off of you you're giving them the power in what you ultimately decide to go see you're letting their piece of propaganda that they designed with the specific purpose of trying to get you to give them your money. That is your one determining factor as, as to whether or not you go see a movie. I, I just can't buy into that philosophy. I can't buy into that philosophy. No, if I'm going to invest some, some of my time and money into something, I want to look up just like I would for buying any tablet I'm going to buy, just like I would for any restaurant I'm going to go to, just as I would for any hotel. What's the first thing you do when you're going to visit a town? You're going to get a hotel. You look up the ratings on it. You look up what's being said about this hotel. Whenever I spend money on something or invest my resources in, I want to look up and see. What That's why when you go to Amazon, the first thing you look at, how many people have reviewed this? Is it getting positive feedback? Is it not? So, that's why I, I still really strongly feel that getting a sense of what's being said about that movie is important to be informed, educated consumers. That said, that doesn't mean that just be like, if there's something that really interests you, like a new Star Wars thing is coming out, that really interests me. And I'm going to check it out regardless of what other people say, but we all have certain things like that. And I think there are exceptions. So sure, I, I would be in the same boat. But again... I think it's it's a, it's a wise thing to do because even at worst, at worst, it at least allows you to adjust your expectations a little, right? It at least allows you to adjust your expectations a little. And that's why I believe they're really, really valuable. And, and I, am, I am not a film critic. I mean, I review movies like everybody else does, but I'm not a film critic, but I, I still really do believe as a consumer it's a, it's a good thing to do and a good thing to have. Don't let the critics decide for you, but it should be a part of the decision-making process. Um, just like restaurants, just like hotels, just like the car you're going to buy, just like which laptop you're going to get. It should be a part of your uh, decision-making process. Don't just be, don't just let the only voice that determines whether you're going to see a movie, a piece of propaganda designed by the people who stand to make money off you for going to go see their movie. 
don't make that the only thing that makes up your mind. That that's just my one take on it at any rate, Casey. Any this is a this is a debate that goes that I've had with people for years and my position has changed over the years too and I wouldn't be surprised if 2 years from now I feel a little bit differently than I do about it. But that's kind of where I am right now. It's one of the more fun debates to have too, I think. Anyway, thanks for writing in your thoughts, Casey. Uh next up, Luke 1234 writes when people make fan films, they usually have that fan film look. Does that happen because of the cameras and lenses being used, or is it that software issue? Even movies from the '80s have that professional look over modern film. Uh, over modern films, know what I mean? It's it's a large mixture of things. It's a large mixture of things. You can tell when you are watching a truly pro budgeted Hollywood movie versus something your cousin Eddie is making. You know. Regardless of how good Eddie does, but it's a mixture of a thousand things, the cameras, the lenses, the lighting, the, the people operating all that stuff who know how to get that look more times than not. It's the audio audio is the one for me, but there's no one thing. There's no one thing. There have been feature films made. What was it? Uh, Soderbergh who did it? I can't remember. If it was Steven Soderbergh. I, I think it was Steven Soderbergh, but there are, there are professional like Hollywood films that have been made shot on an iPhone and shot on a Samsung Galaxy Note because some of those things are great. And yet they look like Hollywood movies, right? So it's not just one element. You know, there's there's no magic bullet, Luke. Like the, you can't just say, oh, just use, you know, DaVinci Resolve and that will make your movie look like a professional Hollywood movie. No, no, no. There's, there's a million little moving pieces. But I will say this without getting into a much longer discussion. One of the, the immediate telltale signs of, am I watching a low-budget indie thing or something being done by true Hollywood professionals is the audio. Listen to the audio. That's usually the first thing. That usually even alters the way we see the picture is when the, the audio is done a certain way. But again, uh, it, this would be a much, much larger conversation. It's a good question, though. All right, Willow writes... I don't know if you've mentioned this, but have you seen the trailer for Willy's Wonderland? Yes, this has come up a couple of times. It looks like uh, it looks a lot like Five Nights at Freddy's. It doesn't look a lot like Five Nights at Freddy's. It's a complete Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. Let's be clear about that. Uh, but with Nicolas Cage going full cage in the animatronic. So this actually happened. I had um, I had not seen the trailer. I didn't know the trailer had come out. And somebody had written into the show a couple of days ago and asked, have you seen this Willy's Wonderland trailer. And I said, no, let me check it out. And I checked it out. Here's the thing. It's uh, this Nick Cage uh, movie. It is not like Five Nights at Freddy's. It is an absolute shameless Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. Nonetheless, it looks like a lot of fun and I am going to watch it. <laughs> I, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't going to watch it. But yeah, it's totally... Listen, if, if the title did not come up that said Willy's Wonderland, if you just watched the trailer and no title came up at the end and somebody said to you, what movie do you think this is? We're about to reveal it. You'd all say, oh, this is the Five Nights at Freddy's movie they said that we're going to make. And then a different title would come up. It is absolutely Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. But again, the trailer is fun. I want to watch it. And the fact that Nick Cage is in there doing it, probably has a lot to do with it. So, and not only were they ripping off Five Nights at Freddy's, they totally ripped off a line from uh Watchmen, from Zack Snyder's Watchmen. You know that one scene in Watchmen when and maybe he's not the first one to do it, but there's a one scene in Watchmen where um uh Rorschach is in prison 
and he's just been beating the hell of people. And he says, you don't get it. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. Right? They totally ripped that line off and put it in the trailer. Only it's not first person. It's third person. It's, he's not trapped in there with them. They're trapped in there with him. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God, this, this is just a complete ripoff movie. But still, it looks like fun, so I'm probably going to watch it. All right. Logan Roy writes, and this will be the final question that we have uh, for tonight, guys. Logan Roy writes, hey, John, the company working on the upcoming James Bond video game released Hitman 3 today. In anticipation, I've been rewatching the John Wick trilogy. Just wanted to know which of those three movies is your favorite. It's hard for me to choose. Thank you. And by the way, the producer of the Hitman movies is in my documentary. His name's Adrian Iscaria. He's in my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. And there's he tells this re really great story about the first trailer for the first Hitman movie. It's amazing. Check it out. Um, not that I'm biased, of course. Anyway, my I think my favorite is John Wick 3. Now, listen, John Wick 2 and John Wick 3 are missing something very important from the first John Wick movie. I talk about this all the time. The first John Wick movie, everybody fears the name of John Wick so much so that he's known as the boogie. He's known as the Baba Yaga, right? Everybody fears John Wick. Dude beats up the mob boss's son. Mob boss says, why are you hitting my kid? Well, he stole the car. Who cares? He stole the car. It was John Wick's car. And this high powered mob boss just goes, oh, like, that right but then we move into john wick's two and john wick three john wick three is my favorite of the three but still and nobody's afraid of john wick anymore which is stupid because first of all everybody trembled and peed themselves at the thought of john wick might be coming for you and then once he comes out of retirement, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Now that he's back, all he's done is slaughter tons more people. And all of a sudden you get into John Wick 2 and John Wick 3, and nobody seems the least bit intimidated by John Wick. It's like, oh, cool, bounty on John Wick. Yeah, I'll go after John Wick. I don't care. I don't care. I'll go after John John Wick's not so tough, right? I really hope that when we get into John Wick 4 again, they get back to the Baba Yaga. They remind everybody that, John Wick's name was feared like a nightmare, like a boogeyman story. And I hope they get back to that. That notwithstanding the fact that John Wick 3 also had that problem. I, it was the most enjoyable one to me. I had the most fun with that one. Really, really enjoyed that one. All right, guys, listen. Uh, we still got more questions from Preston the Kryptonian, Boner69, Mark C, and on. Do not worry. When we do the John Campus show tomorrow and we get to the live questions part of the show, we're going to start off with your questions. You send them in. We're going to answer them properly in a video. But for now, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion videos. Thank you so much for joining us and being here and being a part of this. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the questions. Number one because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported the channel while you were doing it. And all of us here involved with the John Campy YouTube channel, thank you guys very, very much for that. All right, guys, please remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.